Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. One day a beggar and his friend were standing on the street corner and they were panhandling. And this beggar said to his friend, If I just had $100, I would never complain the rest of my life. And about that time, a businessman walked by and he heard the comment. He stopped and he turned to the beggar and he said, Did you say that if you had $100, you would never ever complain the rest of your life? And the beggar said, Yes, sir, mister, that's exactly what I said. If I just had $100, I would never, ever complain the rest of my life. Well, this businessman pulled out his wallet, opened it up, took out a $100 bill, gave it to this beggar and said, You know, I'm just glad I can have a small part of bringing happiness in this world. And the businessman turned and walked off. The beggar turned to his friend and said, I wish I'd asked for $200. <laughs> Now, does that describe your life? Are you satisfied with your life? Does this picture represent your life? You know, you just keep adding more and more and more things to your cart until you're in trouble. Are you satisfied with your job? Are you satisfied with the salary that you make? Are you satisfied with the position that you have in the company? Are you content with your station in life, with your socioeconomic level, with your family pedigree? Are you content with your possessions? Are you satisfied with your house? Are you satisfied with your car? Are you content with your clothes? Now contrast your contentment level with what Paul said his was in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. How does your level of contentment measure up with Paul's level of contentment? He says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. We've been studying grace, and I have defined grace in two aspects for you. First, it is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's unmerited favor toward us. And the second aspect of grace is God's divine enablement. God's divine power that gives us what we need to live this Christian life. So to live by grace means that you recognize that everything that you have is a result of God's unmerited favor, more than you deserve, and that everything that you do is because of God's power working in you to enable you to do that. And our goal of studying grace is to bring you to the point that you are living in God's grace. That you're living by His grace. That your life is transformed by His grace. Now the next few weeks, we're going to be helping you to determine to what level are you living by grace. 
You see, when you're living by grace, there are certain character qualities that should be present in your life. If these character qualities are not in your life, then it's a good indication you're not living by grace. And so as we look at these character qualities, I want you to judge your life accordingly and you'll be able to determine the level to which you are living by God's grace. That is, realizing everything you have is a gift of God, not a result of anything you earn or deserve, and that anything you're able to do is because of God's divine power enabling you to do that. First character quality we're looking at today is contentment. Contentment. Are you content? Are you satisfied in your life? Take your Bibles, turn over to Luke chapter 12. Now, it's going to take us two weeks to look at this subject of contentment. Today we're going to study discontentment and the problems that it brings in your life. And then next week, Lord willing, we will look at the steps to obtain contentment, satisfaction in your life. Over in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, we're going to begin in verse 13. And I will read all the way through verse 34. All of this fits together. And it all is a study of discontentment and where true contentment can be found. I stand in respect for the Word of God and let me begin to read. You read along with me. Verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher! Tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you. Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool! This very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is a man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, Do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, they have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds! And which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot even do this very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, but I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass in the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will He clothe you, you men of little faith? 
And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink. And do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you need these things. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing and the obeying of His Word. Now the first thing we need to notice today is the solemn warning that Jesus is giving us. Now Jesus says in this passage, Beware and be on guard. And other passages, Jesus will say, beware, and then He'll say something. Or He will say, be on guard, and then He will tell us what we need to be on guard about. But this is the only passage, the only time we have recorded in Scripture where Jesus ever combines the two phrases, beware and be on guard. Now, that tells me that this subject that He's about to talk about is of utmost importance And He is giving us a very solemn warning. It is a very dangerous condition that He's about to talk about. And therefore, He's given us the most serious warning when He says, Beware and be on your guard. First, beware. This means literally to see, to perceive, to attend to. Keep your eyes open. Stay on constant lookout. I remember when... I was growing up, I would go down to my dad's farm with him, and we would walk in the woods, and he would say to me, watch out, beware of snakes. And he would say to me, the way you walk through the woods and through the field is you always walk with your eyes about four feet ahead of you. Don't be looking around, but be looking ahead of you where you're going to be walking, so that if there are snakes there, you can see them. So every time we'd go down, he'd say, beware of snakes, watch out. And you know, I was looking. One day, he had gone down to the farm by himself, and he came back that night, and he called us together, me and my two brothers. He said, come out, I want to show you something. So we went out to his truck, and he reached in in the back of his truck and pulled out this big box, and he turned it over, and this eight-foot rattlesnake fell out, which was dead. But let me tell you, it got the point. And he told us that he had found this snake about three feet from his foot, when he was walking in the woods at the farm that day. Now, do you think he ever had to tell me, beware again? I would tell him every time we would go, watch out for snakes, Dad. But that's the kind of vigilance Jesus is talking about. Always be looking. Always beware. Always be on constant lookout. And then he says, be on your guard. Now, this word was used in the New Testament of a man guarding his house against robbers. In Luke 12, 21, Jesus said, When a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. Now, we've all seen the news footage of an area that maybe a tornado has gone through or a hurricane has gone through. And 
uh, disruption has come to such an extent that the electricity is out and, and many people have had to leave. And you'll see that one man sitting in his yard with his shotgun guarding his possessions from looters. Now that's the picture we're getting here. Be on guard. Be looking out for the danger. Discontentment, greed is a robber. And it will capture your heart. You need to constantly be on guard and beware about the attacks of greed. Both subtle and outright attacks. So, to summarize so far, what Jesus is telling us, He's showing us the importance of guarding our hearts against greed. He's showing us that this is a constant danger that we face. We must constantly be on the lookout all the time. Never let your guard down. And He shows us that it is a continual danger. It calls for continual alertness and vigilance. Most of us will wrestle with greed all of our lives. You say, well, why? Well, number one, because of the remnants of the old sin nature. But number two is because there is an industry that spends billions of dollars every year to convince you not to be satisfied, not to be content with what you have. And so we, if we're honest, wrestle with this whole concept of greed and we will wrestle with it constantly and continually all of our lives. Now, the first warning Jesus gives us, He gives us a solemn warning against discontentment. Jesus says in verse 15, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. Now, look at this word greed. In the Greek, this word greed simply means to have more. To have more. What's Jesus talking about? He's talking about that thirst to have more. He's talking about that desire, that strong desire to have more and more and more. To never be satisfied or content with what we have. We want a bigger home. We want a newer car. We want a better car. We want better clothes. We want a higher position in the company. We want more salary. These two beggars were, again, different than the first two that I told you about. Two other beggars were out and, and they were panhandling and they made it a practice to panhandle uh, next to a high rise that was known to house millionaires. So they figured they'd get some good handouts. And so they were standing there and they were talking one day and, and one of the beggars said to the other one, you know, how much money do you think it takes for a person to be content, to be satisfied. And they talked about it and battled it back and forth a few minutes. And about that time, a millionaire came out of the high-rise, and these two beggars knew this guy was a millionaire because they hung around here a lot, and, and they had had some conversations with him off and on through the uh, years. And so they said, let's ask him. So when the millionaire walked by, they said, can we ask you a question? He said, sure, what is it? How much money does it take to be satisfied? And this millionaire took his hand and reached down in this beggar's cup, pulled out a dollar bill from the beggar's cup, stuck it in his pocket and said, one more dollar. People are never satisfied with how much money they make. 
That's what Jesus is saying. Watch out. Be on constant guard against that desire to always want to have more. We get that raise, but hey, it's not enough. We thought it would be. We just said, man, if I can just get this raise, if I can just get to this level. And we get there and then we think, hmm, I need to go a little higher. I need to have a little more. It's not enough. Jesus says, be on guard. Watch out for every desire to have more. And the second warning is against every desire to have more. Look at what Jesus says. Beware, be on your guard against every form of grief. Not only does He warn us against the desire to have more, but He says every desire to have more. Now, the most obvious desire to have more is possessions. And that's the most obvious. You know, I want a better car. I want a better home. I want more things. I want a better TV set. You know, I've been looking at a 42-inch plasma television. Do I need it? No. Well, I get it? Probably not. I shouldn't even be looking at it. But you know, you see those advertisements, you know, and it just looks so good. Then you go in the store, and they look so good. It's a good picture. You know, I could maybe rationalize somehow by... Well, I need to relax, you know, to stress a ministry. <laughs> I need to get some relaxing time. And I can just relax so much better in front of that 42-inch plasma. Terry said, if we don't have room in the house for it, where are we going to put it? I said, that's not a problem. We'll find somewhere to put it. But you see, that's where we are. We're always wanting to have more. Not being satisfied with what we have. Jesus said, watch out. Not only in possessions, but this desire to have more comes with in their position too. Maybe our place in society. Man, I wish I was born wealthy. I wish I was born a Rockefeller. I wish I was was, was born uh, a Kennedy. You know, people think, oh, I just wish I had more stature in society. I wish I was a Vanderbilt. I wish I just had that so everybody would look at it. I wish I was born in England and was a lord or a duke or something. And I wish I knew what it was to live the lifestyle of the rich and famous. I don't know if that show still comes on or not, but you remember it used to come on? And, and they would spend the whole time letting you look at these rich folks. And, and how many people sat in front of that and thought, hmm, I love that. Man, I want that for me. That's what I want. I want to be a part of this group. Man, I want to be the president of my company. I want a more prestigious job where I'm more recognized. I'm not content with my position in life. And then we have the problem in the air of circumstances as well, don't we? I always want better circumstances. I'm discontent with my physical limitations. I'm discontent with the way I look, my size. I'm discontent with my neighbors. i got some just awful neighbors I want to get rid of. I'm discontent with the troubles that I have in my life. I'm discontent with my school. It goes on and on, and we're just discontent with our circumstances, aren't we? Jesus says, be on guard. Beware. Of every form of desiring to have more. That thirsting to have more possessions or better circumstances. Never being satisfied. Never being content with what we have. And then Jesus gives another warning. He gives a solemn warning about the emptiness of possessions. He goes on to say in verse 15, For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. You see, the whole root idea behind greed is, if I can just have more, I'll be satisfied. If I can just have better things, more things, better job, 
more pay, if I can just have better circumstances, I will finally be satisfied. Jesus says, no. Even when one has an abundance, this doesn't bring satisfaction. You remember the man known as H. Ross Perot? Many of you remember him from his presidential days of aspiration. Well, he's a billionaire. A billion dollars is a thousand million dollars. Now, you know what he has to say about things? According to Fortune magazine, they quoted him as saying this. He says, guys, just remember, if you get real lucky, if you make a lot of money, if you go out and buy a lot of stuff, it's going to break. He says, you've got the biggest, fanciest mansion in the world. It has air conditioning. It's got a pool. Just think of all the pumps that are going to go out. Or he says, you go to a yacht basin, any place in the world. He said, nobody's smiling. And I'll tell you why. Something broke that morning. The generator's out. The microwave oven doesn't work. He says, things just don't mean happiness. That's a billionaire speaking. Who can have anything he wants. Anything. All the possessions he wants. Two thousand years before Ross Perot said that, Jesus was telling us the same truth. Even when one has an abundance, his life does not consist of his possessions. Do you really believe Jesus? Do you believe what He's saying is true? Then why do so many Christians buy lottery tickets? If we really believe it's true, why do so many Christians buy lottery tickets thinking, man, if I can win that $7 million, all my problems will be over. There were two guys that did some research and they found this article in this journal called Social Indicators Research. And this article had gathered information from 39 countries, and they concluded in this article that the more money people make, the more money they want. And so happiness keeps eluding them. The study said, and I quote, neither increasing income at the individual level nor country level were accompanied by an increase in subjective well-being. In fact, the researchers found that rapid increase in wealth results in less, not more, happiness. But we continue to try to accumulate more and more things, make more and more money, because we think somehow, some way, this is going to make me happy. But where do you find true satisfaction? If a meaningful life is not found in possessions, if it's not found in obtaining more position, then where do we find a more meaningful, satisfying life? Jesus tells us that true life is found in loving relationships. Loving relationships. Not in things, but in loving relationships. In relationship with God, in relationship with our family, in relationship with others. Emperor Frederick of the Roman Empire in the 13th century wanted to find out what was the original language that man spoke. He wanted to know if it was Greek, if it was Hebrew, or if it was Latin. And so he decided to do an experiment. He would take several infants 
from birth, and He would separate them from all human speech of any kind. And He thought that they would speak man's original language. That shows you how much they didn't understand about the way we learn how to speak. And so He had nursemaids come and nurse these children, but they were forbidden to speak a single word to these children. Because He wanted to see what language they would speak. After several months, every one of these babies had died. A sad and cruel experiment. Because the truth is, though they had everything they needed to live, they had the food, the nourishment they needed, they had a place that would keep them out of the elements, they had clothing, that was one thing they did not have, and that was a relationship. And they died. You see, true Life is not found in things. It's found in relationships. This is the key to the whole understanding of this passage that we have read today. This man comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. How does Jesus respond to the guy? He says, who made me the judge and arbitrator between you and your brother? And then Jesus goes into this Warning against greed. What's Jesus saying? He's saying to this guy, look, you need to be more concerned about your relationship to your brother. Evidently, you're estranged because you can't come to agreement on the inheritance. But your greed, your desire to have more, has blinded you to the importance of your relationship to your brother. Go get it straight. I'm not going to sit here and talk about your inheritance. Go get your relationship with your brother straight. And then after the warning about greed, Jesus tells a story about this rich ruler. And this guy that had all these things, but he said, I've got to build bigger barns because I need more. And he kept saying, if I can just have more, then I'll be able to relax and enjoy life and just take it easy. And you remember, he built bigger barns. He stored all his stuff. And then what did God say? This, this day, your life is required of you. And he died. And Jesus gives a very revealing statement in there when he says, Now who will have what you've prepared? No relationship mentioned in that whole parable. No relationship. Now who's going to get your wealth? Nobody's been mentioned. It's just you. Because this man thought life consisted of possessions and he didn't have any relationships. And then Jesus goes on to talk about, so it is with the man who has things in this life, but he is not rich toward God. Now, what does it mean to be rich toward God? What do you think that means? What are the two greatest commandments? I mean, if you could only do two things, what would God want you to do? What are the absolute two most important of all the commandments in all of Scripture, which two are the most important? What did Jesus say? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. And the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. What do these commandments have to do with Relationships. Don't they? Love God. Love others. So what does it mean to be rich toward God? It means you have good, healthy, loving relationships. You have a loving relationship with God, and you have a loving relationship with others. 
And notice in verse 22, Jesus goes on to say, For this reason I say to you. For what reason? He goes all the way back up to verse 13. Because your life does not consist of your possessions, because life is more than things, for this reason I say to you, don't worry about your things. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. You seek first God's kingdom. And what is God's kingdom? Relationships. Love God. Love others. God's kingdom is relationships. God's kingdom is the rule of God in the hearts of people. It's when people have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's how you come into His kingdom. The kingdom is relationships. The gospel is relationships. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Father-Son relationship. We are called children of God. Family relationship. We are called brothers and sisters in Christ. Family relationship. For God so loved the world, God the Father, that He gave His only begotten Son. You see, relationships. Relationship to God. Relationship to others. That's what true life consists of. And then He says in verse 33, Sell your possessions. Give it to charity. Since life is not found in your possessions, since contentment and satisfaction is not found in your possessions, He says, sell what you have and invest in people. Give it to charity. And so doing, you're storing up treasures in heaven. You're using your money for what's really important. You see, true, meaningful life is found in loving relationships and in no place else. A couple of verses in Proverbs points this out again. Proverbs fifteen seventeen. Better is a dish of vegetables where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. It's better to eat a vegetable plate with love than to have a steak where there's strife. That's what he's saying. He's saying it's the loving atmosphere that you're eating in that's more important than what you're eating. And the next verse, better is a dry morsel and quietness with it than a house full of feasting with strife. Just a way of saying, look, folks, possessions is not where it's at. It's loving relationships. I picture this man. This man is a multimillionaire. He is living in a $3 million mansion. He is sitting, looking at his 65-inch plasma television. But he's by himself. His wife can't stand to look at him. She's not even home. His children hate him and are in rebellion against him. He knows not God. And then we got this other fellow who is in a double-wide trailer. Excuse me, single-wide trailer. He's sitting there with his wife beside him, his small children in his lap, they love him and respect him. His older children are sitting around and they have the Bible open and they're having a family devotion. Now, which one of these two guys has found life? Which one of these two guys really understands what life is all about? Fathers, are you guilty of wanting more and more and more? Thinking, well, if I could just get more money and buy more things for my family, this would be better. And you're abandoning that all-important relationship with them, with your wife, 
Because you're running after the wrong things. You've been duped into thinking that if you could just have more, you'd be satisfied. You see, God created within us this desire to be content. To seek satisfaction. To seek contentment. But the danger is we seek it in the wrong places. We're seeking it in things rather than in relationships. Moms, have you bought into this lie of Satan? That unless you're out pursuing a career, you've fallen short of your full potential? That you need to work so your kids can have more and more and more? Well, what they really need is you and a loving relationship with you? That there is no higher calling in all the world than to be a loving mother? And wife, that you would have to step down to become president of the United States? Leo Tolstoy, the Russian novelist, tells a story. He tells a story of this man who was rich, but he was not satisfied. And this very wealthy ruler of this country said, If you will give me a thousand rubles, you can have as much land as you can stake out in a day's time. Now, the only requirement is you must be back here by sunset. And so this man thought, man, that's a good deal. I want that. And so this fellow paid his thousand rubles, and he took off with his stakes in hand, and he went far as he could go over this way, and he put his stakes, and he headed this way, and he was going way out, and he started looking in the sky, and he realized, you know, the sun's going down, i got to be back by sunset, and he started getting a little panicky because he realized how far his greed had taken him away from the home base. So he picked up his pace, and he kind of started trotting. Well, the sun kept getting further and further down, and he realized he was not as close as he needed to be, so he picked up his pace even more, and he started running. And then the sun was continuing to go down and he started running faster and faster and faster. And finally he could see the place he began as the sun was just getting down. And so he picked it up even more. And he got there just as the sun went down. He got there. But he fell over dead with a heart attack. Tolstoy ends that story with this. How much land does a man really need anyway? A plot six feet long, three feet wide, and six feet deep. How much do you really need anyway? 